following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. Who is the enemy? So I want to throw a few vignettes at you, see what you think. So you're at work, and your coworker is being a jerk. Yeah, because that happens sometimes, right? And, and, and they're treating you very poorly. Who is the enemy? And another scenario, you're at home, and, and your spouse is treating you poorly. Who is the enemy? You're at school, and some bully comes along and shoves you up against the lockers. Who is the enemy? You are out just in the world, maybe you're going to the store, maybe you're on your way somewhere, maybe you're just having fun down at the lake, and somebody does something and you see it, and you're like, that ain't right. Who is the enemy? These questions are going to lead us to a statement of he who is the enemy. And, and, and as we ask these questions, and if we think about these scenarios, what we have to do is we have to find out what is going on inside of us and out side of there. So we're going to just dive right into Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 and 22. It's kind of the first half of 22. And for those of us who are visitors here, whenever you see this MLV, that's Mark's literal version, we're doing a lot of that in this passage because when, when I was at seminary, you know, we had to study these words very, very deeply. And that was really great. And it's funny how being a pastor now for four plus years has taught me that these words run deeper than I ever thought they would. And I know if you check back with me in another four years, we'll do this again and it'll be even bigger. But Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I myself say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother and sister will be liable to the judgment. Here's how this goes. See, what you, see how you think this resonates. If I said to you, hey, are you a good person? You're like, well, I like to think so. You know what I mean? You'd kind of come back with something like that. And how would you determine if you're a good person? Like if I then pushed it and really made it awkward and uncomfortable. How would you determine if you're good? Well, I'm not as bad as... I mean, that's, that's pretty much what we do. Some variation. It's what I would do. If you said, are you a good person? I'm like, well, I can think of worse people. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah. Um, Jesus wants to destroy all of that thinking. He wants to just take all of that and say, mm, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So in their culture, they had this group called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were a group that basically were trying to teach the people to follow God's will, to follow his word. And the, the basic summary of that is you needed to be a good person. And the question of how you determine if you were a good person, they had answered with tremendous detail. They had given you very specific. So for example, if you'd asked one of the teachers of the law, are you a good person? He says, I've never murdered anyone. And he would mean that with all of his heart. Except Jesus is saying, but were you angry with somebody? Because when you anger with somebody, that's liable to the judgment. See, if you want to be a good person and you want to measure that by behavior, which is what we all do, that's the brokenness of us that pulls us to do that. If you want to measure your goodness by your behavior, then you're going to create a standard that you can keep. Not an axe murderer. I mean, there was that one mosquito I killed the other day. But see, see, we want to lower the standard down to something that we can manage. 
that's what if you if you may if you do your sort of you have a ledger of the good and the bad, then you're going to count the good based on things that you can actually do. Because like if I told you, I said in order, in like for example, if we set up a, a game, and we're going to play a little ping pong, right? And on my side, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to win by just hitting one ball across there, and no matter what happens, as soon as I hit that ball, I win the game. You're going to be like, well, that's not fair, but you have to score like one million in order to beat me. I mean, that's just silly. We would never play that game. We want nothing to do with that game. And guys, that's what Jesus just said. You want to win, the, you want to win it on your terms? You've got to score a million. You've got to score a trillion. You've got to go off the chart. You've got to be perfect. Because at the end of chapter 5, he goes ahead and just says it. If you want to do it on your steam, if you want to be the guy who is a good person, then you have to be perfect. I tell you the truth. Anyone who is even angry. Guys, I might get angry before lunch today. I'm, I hope I don't. I certainly know tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. I'll be angry well before lunch. And it'll be at my brother or sister. Right? Who's my brother and sister? Yeah. See, when you ask that question, we already know we're in trouble. Because we want to lower the standard. We want to lower it and make it keepable. And you'll find if you're around people who are righteous, they have a low standard of the law. And Jesus says, nope. God's standard is up here. So, what does this mean? Take a look at verse 22. Second half of that verse. He says, Whoever calls his brother or sister Raka will be liable to the court. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the fires of hell. Now, what does this mean? Because Raka, we don't know what that is. Guys, that was a very serious cuss word in their culture. Jesus dropped an F-bomb in front of the Pharisees. And, and if we did that here, we would be like, Ugh. Right? So we don't want to do that. But what we need to see is he's saying people get all upset about a certain word and then they don't get upset when they use a more comfortable word. Like we wouldn't want to call anyone very, very bad names, but we might want to call, well, that, that cotton-headed ninny muggins, you know, or something like that, which, which, you know, Elf got good in his movie. But, you know, we, 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 would, we, we would try to soften it to where it's like, you know, we do these, these are called euphemisms, Right? We don't say GD, we say golly gee. We don't say, you know, this, we say we have a well shoot. You know, that's what we do. And we consider it acceptable because we lower the standard. Jesus says, if anybody just says, and he uses the most simple, like slightly derogatory word in their culture, that most people would have been like, no problem. If you call somebody a fool, I mean, that's normally. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, what is this fool doing? And we don't think anything of it. He says that the person, so he says if you say the really bad cuss word, you're going to have to go stand before the court. But I tell you that if you say the, the simple little word that nobody cares about, you're going to hell. Are, is this actually in the Bible? Did, they, did we get like a misprint here? I thought Jesus was the teddy bear guy. Yeah. See, he's teaching us something. He's confronting something in us, the brokenness of our hearts. It's not about good behavior. It's funny how it works, too, because guess what? If we start putting our trust in him and we say, Jesus, I want you to teach me because obviously I don't know what I'm doing, you know what will happen? Our behavior will actually get better. It's funny how that works. But it's not like if you try to be a good person, try harder, do more, get better, it'll all crash in on itself. But if you say, Lord, I'm broken and I need you to do something about that, something cool is going to start to happen. 
Take a look at verses 23 and 24. Now, he says, notice here the title here, you know, before we had not behavior, we had heart. Now we have not religion, faith. And so he says, so, let's just take an example. Let's say you're going to the temple. Now, of course, you and I don't go to the temple. Praise be to God, we are the temple, right? We actually take the the glory of God everywhere we go. That's a story for another day in more detail. But today, what I want you to see is, he says, if you're going to go up to the altar, and they, in their context, that was a big like moment. You'd plan it all out, um, and you would like probably go on a trip to go to the altar, and it would be an all-day affair, maybe a multi-day affair, maybe weeks, and you, this would be a big deal. And you're going to go there, and you're going to do your religious practices, and you're going to do all those things, and while you're there, you remember that your brother and sister has something against you. Leave your gift. He's saying, stop this big trip you've planned, stop this big event that you have, and go and be reconciled. Don't do your religious practices if there are people in your life that are hurting. See, this is interesting because this is how faith works. Religion is I do things so that people can see that I am righteous. May we just throw all of that out the back door with the trash? Can we just do that? Let's not do that anymore. And instead, we do faith, which is we take the world on God's terms. And God's terms are this, what Jesus is talking about to us. I don't care about all of that. Remember what he t- we said th- a couple weeks ago when the Pharisees and, the dis- and, and, the, and they came to him at Matthew's house. He was with Matthew having a party with tax collectors and prostitutes and the like. And they were like, the Pharisees were like, why does, your, why does your master eat with those kinds of people, those sinners? And Jesus responded to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Which is what, when he said that, what he's saying is that I am not interested in your religious practices. I am interested in your heart. I am interested in your heart. And what he really wants out of all things, above all things, is our heart. And you're like, well, what's, what's the big deal about our heart? Because, see, here's the thing. I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to put yourself in the third possible scenario. And that is, you have one hour to live. And you know that at approximately 11.30 Central Standard Time, you're going to die. I want you to put yourself in that position. And now I want you to ask yourself, during this next 60 minutes, what is important? What's actually important? What would you do? Who would you call? What would you say to them? It's kind of like this, um, borrowing from the great theologian Stephen Curtis Chapman. He said, what if you had five minutes, and what if you lived every five minutes like it was your last five minutes, and, and then knowing that you were going to live forever? See, it's just this kind of interesting thing. It changes our perspective, because that's the perspective Jesus is challenging us and confronting us with. If you had one hour to live, who would you call and What would you say to him? That's what he wants us to think about every day. What's actually important? Who is actually important? Someone was telling me the other day, there's a situation had come up, and, and it was something in their family. And, 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 I mean, she called me up, and she's like, we're not going to be at church on Sunday because we've got to go be with family. And I'm like, that's actually a very church thing to do. I would much rather you go be with your family and take care of them. There, Jesus says this. He literally says this to you and me. Don't do church if you've got to go take care of people. Because actually, guess what? That's what church actually is. 
Religious practice is a tool. What we do, we gather in this room, we have a specific liturgy that we follow that teaches us and helps us grow in the story of Jesus, helps us receive his gifts, but understand that it's all for the purpose of what he says right here. It's so that we can have the power to connect with those in our lives and share with them what you and I have been given, which is things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I want you to ponder for a second, none of those words are religious. You hear, you hear me when I say love, joy, and peace. Think about that. If, you're, like, like if you said, what's my, like, what's my purpose in life? I want to share love and joy and peace. I want to share patience and kindness and goodness. I want to sort of dump out on the ground faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit which He will bear in us and through us when we have faith. And the faith is very simple. I'm going to take this on God's terms. So, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 says it's the evidence of things that we don't see. Evidence of things that we don't see in contrast to what the hypocritical self-righteousness was all about, which is to say we need to make sure what people see. No, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus, a chapter after this, he'll say when you, when you fast, if you're going to do some cool fasting thing like for Lent, a lot of people would say I'm going to give up this for Lent, well then the point would be you would never tell anyone <laughs> that you would ever give anything, and you certainly wouldn't put it on social media and all those other things, right? You would just simply quietly do it, and you say actually then what you want to go is you want to go out of your way to make your appearance look normal. Because this is a matter of the heart, not a matter of that sort of silliness. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's kind of a literal rendering of that passage. And why do we care about this? Where does this come from? It seems like it just comes out of nowhere. It's because our enemy, who is our enemy? Go back to our little vignettes we have. Is it your coworker? Is it your spouse? Is it that bully at school? Nope. Our enemy are these dark, mysterious things that we cannot see, that we don't understand. And yet faith says we're going to take this on God's terms and trust Him and we are going to love our neighbor. We're going to even love our enemies and we're going to do this not because anybody deserves it, but because it's the thing which actually pushes back the darkness. We shine the light. We take what we've been given and we share it. We said last week, God's grace is like a waterfall. He just dumps it on our heads just washes us clean. We have nothing to offer. And he does all of that. And the purpose is that so that not only would we be washed clean, but that he's hoping it'll splash all around us. He's hoping that when we're set free from prison, that we might actually go along to our fellow prisoners and take them by the hand and say, let me show you the way out. Let me show you the way out. Let me take what I've been given and share it with you. And so when we understand and trust that God's terms, His design, is that we would not see one another as enemies, 
even if they're from a different political party or a different cultural background or their behavior is something we find detestable or any of those kinds of things that we would see them as people. Maybe they are people who are being influenced by the, spiritual, the dark forces of the spiritual realms, and maybe we are too. And we would simply say, these are my brothers and sisters. They're the children of God. And maybe they don't know it yet, but they are in prison. Maybe I don't even realize how much, how much my prison is where I've turned my soul and my spirit and my whole body in on itself. And instead, God is seeking to set me free to say, let's get rid of all the games and all the silliness and simply shine our light, which is what we learned last week. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. This is where we're going to conclude, but this is where Jesus started. This is the first blessing that he gave. He said, the poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I thought it was because they were righteous. No, it's because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The, the key here is, to, you see this, if you say to yourself, I've got nothing, then you have everything. But if you sit there and you say, I'm pretty good. You should have seen me on Tuesday, man. I made it half the day pretty righteous. You know, pretty good. And, I, and I, I wish I could tell you I'd never fall into that. But I mean, literally this morning, I was getting ready and I was you know, shaving or whatever, and I was like, you know, yesterday wasn't so bad. And I mean, literally what I'm preaching here today, I'm like, it just it happens to all of us. It's that sin, that brokenness. It pulls on us. It twists our hearts. And what we need to see is that we just simply say, Jesus, I've got nothing to offer you. I need your help. And he'll say, let's go. That's how this works. And what he will do for you and for me is he will say, who is the enemy? Not those people, not the one and others. It's those spiritual forces that are bizarre to us and sound like a cartoon character to us, and I get all of that. But the moment that we trust and put our faith in him when we take it on his terms, then he will say to you and to me what he said to his disciples, come and follow me. Come and follow me, and we will make disciples of all nations, and we will baptize them, and we will teach them, and people will move from death to life. Please pray with me about that. Father, we ask you right now to help make this message, these words, a reality. Help us not worry about trying to be good because we find out that any, even when we have a slight reaction to things, we are evil. Help us instead see the world on your terms so that we would understand the relationships that we are in, the conflicts that we have. The true enemy is the evil one. Our loved ones or even our, the strangers we meet on the street or even the people who are our fiercest enemies are not actually enemies. They are humans who are broken just like us and the same way as us. And that we would no longer put our faith in our ability to not murder or not cuss or any of those kinds of things, but that we would put our faith in your ability, Jesus, to save us and to set us free to love our neighbor. Lord, we pray this, and we ask you very specifically for you to give us your power, your spirit to do this. We pray this because he is the one who lives and reigns with you and our Lord Jesus Christ, one God, now and forever. Amen.